Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Jordi. And with us today is Lana Ferguson, author of The Nanny, which is the romance book we'll be discussing today. Lana, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. For sure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm so excited to get into it. So can you explain to us what is The Nanny and what inspired you to write this story? So The Nanny is kind of a modern twist on second chance romances. Nanny romances are always full of that delicious forced proximity goodness, but I wondered what it might be like if it were a second chance romance of sorts and, you know, even more fun if neither of them realized it. And OnlyFans is such a wide phenomenon right now. And I like the idea of a content creator, you know, who had gotten too close to a subscriber only for them to kind of be the one that got away. I just felt like it added a layer of a will they, won't they that kind of felt like something new. So I just wanted to explore that and it turned into this. And so another aspect of the story is that Cassie, yes, she did an OnlyFans, but now she is also going to school and she gets this nanny opportunity. And so what was it kind of like writing for the single dad perspective and including Cassie in this story? So I I like the dynamic of like a single dad and a child because, you know, a lot of times you know, a mother is there to take up like the the nurturing bed. So not to say that a dad can't, but it's just, it's very common to see a mother in that role. So when they're on their own, there's usually a lot of, you know, adorable floundering and trying to do what's best for their daughter, their son, child, whatever. So I liked being able to write that dynamic. And I liked being able to conclude Cassie because she kind of, you know, completes them because obviously Aiden wants to do better, but you know, he simply just doesn't know how to balance it all. And it's kind of like with Cassie there to help pick up the slack, she also teaches him how a little bit. So it's kind of like a unit that was missing a piece. And I, I like like found family. And I, I just loved like writing that. Yeah, that was definitely a heartwarming aspect to the story, seeing all of them kind of come together. Did you always know like from the beginning that you wanted Cassie to have been a sex worker? Okay. So I love the idea of writing Cassie as an ex-creator because it was a way to show like how multifaceted people in the industry can be. 
I was grateful to have an opportunity to portray a past sex worker as someone who is a person not unlike someone we might know in our day-to-day lives. You know, often sex workers in the media are still cast in an unflattering light, and I wanted to try to do some small part in pushing back against that stigma. When we get to certain aspects of the story where, you know, the potential problem is kind of building, I I wondered what it was going to be between Aiden and Cassie. And I remember just feeling stressed about the whole thing coming out and like how it would come out. So you mentioned how there's a sense of found family in this novel. And I could especially feel that between Cassie and Wanda. So who is Wanda and what can we learn from the relationship that these two characters have? So Wanda is her next door neighbor. They met, you know, as soon as Cassie kind of moved into the area while she was still like, you know, late teens, early 20s. And they just kind of formed a bond and a friendship. And, you know, being that Wanda is like 50 years older than her, that's kind of like unorthodox and out of the norm. At least for most people, you wouldn't expect to see that. But I loved having Wanda like there to kind of be that guidance that she never had growing up. And, you know, hopefully we can learn that sometimes there is an insight we gain from generations that came before us. I know oftentimes we have a tendency to reject the wisdom or advice from our parents or grandparents because our generations are so different. But there's a sort of strength that comes from living so much life. And I also think the relationship shows that love and friendship can come from the most unexpected places. You know, in her mid-20s, I'm sure that Cassie never expected to have a best friend in her mid-70s. But, you know, opening herself up to that seemingly unorthodox relationship sort of gained a belonging and a sense of family that she hadn't experienced before. Yeah, I, I especially liked how, because of the relationship that Cassie and Wanda had, Wanda became a part of... Sophie's role or Sophie's life in the story as kind of like another figure, motherly-ish figure for her to look at? Sure. And, you know, I like that for Wanda too, because, you know, no spoilers, but we kind of learn deeper into the book that Wanda is, is also missing pieces like in her life. So, you know, not only is Cassie filling those pieces for her, but now Sophie is as well. And so she is also finding a family that she never really had. And it all just kind of comes together. And I, I just love them so much. <laughs> yes, they they were so fun. I think Wanda was honestly one of my favorite characters in the story. Just her wit and her energy throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I, I actually like based her on my grandmother. I think I say this every time someone brings up Wanda. And so there is a real life Wanda out there and she is just as sassy and just as full of advice that you may or may not want to listen to. But she's also just as strong and caring. And it was just really fun to be able to like write her into the story. That's amazing. That makes it like 10 times more enjoyable. In stories like this, it's easy for children sometimes to get pushed to the margins. How were you able to keep Sophie's story and the relationship she had with her father as a prominent aspect in this book. So I knew that writing a child as a main character with the premise of a single dad romance meant that I would have to pay attention to Sophie's actual wants and needs or else she would get pushed to the side. Putting yourself in the mind of a child is difficult, but her existence is such a pivotal part of Aiden and Cassie's relationship. I mean, without her, they would literally never have found each other again. And to me, that meant she deserved to be more than just some backdrop to it. The most important thing was ensuring that Sophie had moments to shine, to have a real personality that showed her as part of the growing family unit they were becoming. You know, I wanted all my characters to find a happy ending. And I fully believe that if Sophie wasn't happy by the end of the story, it meant Aiden hadn't grown into the dad he wanted to be. And 
you know, if he didn't, there's no way Cassie would be satisfied with that outcome. And they might not have even come together in the end because she was just as invested in Sophie as he was by the end of it. Yeah. And I will say I was interested to see how the relationship between Cassie and Sophie was going to play out because sometimes, you know, when you're reading a story, the relationships that anyone forms with a child who like you're coming into a situation, sometimes it can feel like forced or fake or not deep enough. And I was genuinely pleased to find that it seemed like Cassie and Sophie formed a genuine relationship. So that was very heartwarming as well. Right. I I love them. They, and again, they just kind of complete each other a little bit because, you know, Sophie was that child that Cassie was. and, And, you know, in that Cassie found an opportunity to kind of guide her and be the person that she had wanted as a kid. So I think they were kind of destined to love each other. And what would you say was your favorite part of writing this story? For the interactions between Sophie and Cassie, you know, growing up the way she did with absent parents, like I said, I think Cassie felt a kinship to Sophie. She was happy to have an opportunity to sort of offer friendship and guidance to this little girl who is so much like she was when there was no one like that for her growing up. I think Cassie's growing love for Sophie made Aiden's want to become a better dad more special. And, you know, in turn made Cassie and Aiden's bond more special because they were completing this idea of a family that Cassie had always wanted. And it wasn't just about her and Aiden, but also about all three of them as a unit. So I adored writing every interaction between Sophie and Cassie because, you know, her initial prickliness and the the slow softening and then the eventual just all-encompassing love. It just, it just, it's heartwarming. Yes, I I know this book is already getting a lot of buzz and rightly so. This was such a heartwarming book between, you know, the different types of relationships that you can have with people, whether it's found family or next door neighbors. And not only was it that, but also this is probably one of the steamiest books, spiciest (laughs) books that I have read this year so far. Very, very well written. So much fun to read. I had a great time and I know so many other people are as well. So thank you so much. Right. No, thank you. I mean, honestly, the only thing I would love to add is just how grateful I am to everyone for reading and enjoying this story. And, you know, debuting as an author is exciting, but also completely terrifying. (laughs) And, you know, the positive reception and just overall love I've experienced since the book came out has just been so gratifying and sweet. And I just loved writing about this little family and I loved even more how much people seem to love reading about them. And I I just hope I can keep writing fun little stories that make people smile and swoon and sweat just a little bit. Yes. Well, so far, 10 out of 10, you're doing it. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Lana, for coming on today and talking with us. No, thank you for inviting me. This was super fun. If you're a fan of funny, smart, snarky women writers like Samantha Irby, Lindy West, Sloane Crossley, or Jenny Larson, listen up. From award-winning TV writer Laura Belgrave, Tough Titties is a hilarious collection of full-body cringe, watch-through-your-fingers life lessons her own husband calls loser sex in the city. Laura's wildly relatable coming-of-age stories include hate following her sixth-grade bully on social media decades later, moving home post-college to measure her self-worth in hookups with Upper East Side bartenders, dating a sociopathic man-baby, proving herself in the early 90s at New York's coolest magazine, 
as the world's worst intern, falling for get-rich-quick schemes on the internet, and, most of all, saying tough titties to the supposed twos in life. Driving a car, being on time, handing in your paperwork, learning to roast a chicken, and having kids. Peppered with cutting insights on our confusing, self-helpy culture that calls hair removal self-care and tells us to give our 110%, but also to give zero fucks, tough titties will leave you feeling better about, well, everything. Let's face it, we're all tired of shame spiraling after being told what to do when we know we're not going to do any of it. Tough Titties comes out June 13th from Hachette Books. Order from your favorite local bookstore or shop online at bookshop.org. Hello, everyone. It's Sally here. I am excited to be back with the next installment in our Double Date series, where I recommend two of my favorite books on a particular topic, like America's Founders or Healing Internal Wounds, etc. Today, we're going on a double date with two books about the Black Panther Party. Now, I wanted to share a few things here. First of all, I am aware that the Black Panther Party is not like the end-all be-all of like liberation. There are so many groups and movements and organizations throughout the years, like the Young Lords, that were also instrumental, right, in like making change, making progress, and fighting for liberation. And I'm still astounded at how little people know about the Black Panther Party. (laughs) There are a lot of texts to read about the Black Panther Party or related to the Black Panther Party. A lot of party leaders published their own books while they were still alive. There are countless autobiographies from people who were part of the Black Panther Party, like Asada Shakur's. Okay, I'm just going to dive in now. First up is Revolution in Our Time by Kekla Magoon. Now, part of what makes this book, I think, really great and like particularly good to be paired with, I'll just share both of them this <laughs> at first, The Black Panther Party, a graphic novel history by David F. Walker, and the illustrator for that is Marcus Kwame Anderson. I have talked about that graphic novel on a couple of other segments here. But the reason that I think these two pair so well, they offer enough of sort of the overview and a lot of context in different ways. And they do it in a way that's like really easy to to digest, which, you know, not that everything needs to be an easy read, especially not when we're dealing with like super serious topics. So the Black Panther Party, a graphic novel history, I think kind of sometimes does get a little bit heavier. It really just grapples with like the heaviness of here we are still fighting for these things. And like how devastating is it that all of these things have happened? The illustrations in it I absolutely love. And yeah, there was just something about it that even when I first read it, I was like, I think I'm going to keep coming back to this because that's the other thing. It's like there's so much involved with the history of the Black Panthers. Like sometimes even I just like haven't always made connections until you know, second, third, fourth readings or examinations from different books or the same books. And Revolution in Our Time is longer. It really gets into context of like what's going on in the government at this time, what has led up to the Black Panther Party even forming in the first place, and then throughout kind of continuing to give context of like, here's what's going on with the government, here's what's going on with policy, here's what's going on around the world that is contributing to how the Black Panther Party is continuing to organize and um, spread and and all of that. Like, this isn't, you know, a history text that I'm going to read in a history class in college. But there are plenty of other books for that. But so that's that's my pairing for this double date. 
If you have any favorite books about the Black Panther Party or the Young Lords, then if you have any favorites, send them my way. I am down to read them. As you know, I love a deep dive. Or if you have a topic that you want me to take a deep dive on, please reach out. You can get in touch with me on Instagram, Twitter, or anywhere at Sally Simply. Until then, happy reading. Greetings, friends. I'm Marikita Guerrera, and my God, have I just been absolutely destroyed by a book. May I tell you, please, about Blue Hour by Tiffany Clark Harrison. Blue Hour is Clark Harrison's first book and is a short and beautiful and powerful work of fiction published April 4th by Soft Skull Press. Big, huge content warnings here about police violence against Black people, about death, about infertility, about miscarriage and stillbirth. I am not going to go into any of these topics in depth, but please, 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 please take care of yourself if this is not the place you can be right now. Blue Hour takes its name from that time of day around dusk when the whole world seems saturated in an indica wash. Like the golden hour, it is a moment in time that can be photographed but not artificially created. Stunning clarity and beauty as the darkness comes on. Our main character, an unnamed black woman, speaks to her husband, a white Jewish man, throughout the work. An apostrophe determined to try to explain to him, show him, but he cannot ever really know how fearful she is to bring life into a world that not only does not value black children, black lives, but sees them as a threat easily enough eradicated without consequence. She tells him of her pain around infertility, around being unable to bring a pregnancy to term, of her ambivalence in becoming a parent Our main character processes her grief throughout the book, grief around loss in her life and of the loss of so many young people in the Black community, both those of whom she knows personally and those individuals whose names are known to her only in death. To try to summarize Blue Hour feels like an impossible task. It is a meditation on grief, of unburying grief, and of still seeking resolution or beauty even amidst the darkness and the hurt. More poetry than prose almost. Clark Harrison moves the reader gently and honestly and empathetically through all of the heartrending and heart-healing dynamism of this book. It is profoundly affecting. It is devastating. It is powerful and intimate in the way of reading found diary entries. You see our main character undone and frayed and reaching ever always to those ties that she hopes consciously or unconsciously could help bring her back together, especially as she takes on a project, talking with the mothers of young black men and women who have lost their lives to police violence. Blue Hour is such a singular book, a slim volume that suffuses itself entirely in your heart and your mind. I can't shake it. I wouldn't try. Some books pass through your hands and your life, and you can scarcely remember them from year to year, but I don't think I will ever forget Tiffany Clark Harrison's debut novel. There is every chance in the world I will reread it over and over again, that I will buy copies of it to give to friends, that I will encourage my local book club to read it so we can discuss it. It is that stunning. Even now, it sits on my bedside table. Pages flag, 
noting passages that tugged at me, that pulled my ear close and whispered to me even as I felt I was watching everything unfold behind a pane of glass, my own present unseen and unnecessary. Is this too prosaic? Most certainly. But that's the challenge I've set for myself in trying to talk about this book. Probably especially as a cancer, my whole being is just a feeling, bleeding heart. But it's beautiful, and it will crack you apart. Please pick it up. You will for a moment regret it. Clark Harrison is a talent I will be keeping my eyes on from now on. Thank you for joining me to hear hear me just emote effusively about this book. We've been talking about Blue Hour by Tiffany Clark Harrison, and I am Mariquita Carrera. You can find me on Instagram at o underscore mer. Until next time, please be well. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.